We're going to be learning in Chidusha Rabbeinu Chaim Alevi, the second piece in Holchus Shechenim. This is Parak Yud Aleph, Halacha Aleph. And in this piece, Rab Chaim analyzes the principle of Isho Mishum Chitzav, that someone who lights a fire is obligated because it's as if they shot an arrow. So Rab Chaim is going to explain the limitations of that and how the Rambam views that Halacha. The Rambam writes, Misha Asa Gorin Besoch Shaloh, someone who builds a threshing floor in their property. Tzarech Laharchik Kadesh Lo Yaziku. They have to put it far enough from their neighbor's property that it won't damage the neighbor. Afilo Haisa Ruach Shumisayea Oso Beis Shaosa Melachto. Even though it's the wind that helps him when he's working, so it's the wind that actually separates the shaft from the wheat. Umolicha Saafar Onaoris Hapishtan. It's the wind that carries the dirt or the shaft so the damages don't come through the person it actually comes about through the wind still still the person has to build the threshing floor far enough from their neighbor's property that their work won't damage the neighbor even with an ordinary wind because any damages that come about in this case even though it comes through the wind, it's like a person's arrows. So when someone shoots an arrow, it's not the person directly causing damage, it's the arrow, but the person enabled that arrow to damage. So the same is true in this threshing floor, even though it comes about through the wind, but the person enabled the damages, so they have to distance it from their neighbor. Now in the next halacha, the Rambam deals with what happens if there are damages. Afal pishu chayev even though he has to distance the threshing floor or other ways of causing damage through wind from his neighbor's property, if an ordinary wind did carry the dirt or the shaft into the neighboring property, and it caused damages, the person does not have to pay damages because it's the wind that helped him damage. So the damages do not come from the mazik, from the damager on his own. So according to the Rambam, the damager is required to try to prevent the damage, even though it comes about through the wind. But in the case where the wind helps him damage the neighbor, he does not have to pay because he did not cause the damage on his own. It came about through the wind, so he's exempt to pay in that case. Now, the Magid Mishnah raises the issue that in Hilchus Nizkei Maman Yudalid Zion, the Rambam seems to rule differently. If a person blows a flame, but the wind also blows it, and then it goes and damages, so the damager has to pay, because he caused the damage. Anyone who causes damage has to pay full damages. From his best property, like any mazik. So in Nizkei Mamon, the Rambam seems to rule that if a person damages along with the wind, they are obligated to cover the damages. Whereas here in Hilchoshchenim, the Rambam said that if a person damages along with the wind, they are exempt from paying damages because they didn't cause it on their own. So the Magid Mishnah in Hilchos Nizkei Mamon raises this issue. Now, there's a second problem as well, which is we don't have a source 
for what the Rambam is saying in this halacha. The basis for the leniency in this halacha is that the person who damaged is grama. They caused the damages, so they don't have to pay the damages in that case because they didn't actually do it themselves. Now, the source for grama is the case where a person blew the fire and the wind also made it travel. So there the Gemara discusses whether the person is exempt because of grama. So the Rambam in this halacha in Hilchos Shechenim is basing the leniency in the case of the threshing floor on the leniency of grama, which is derived from the case of blowing a fire. But there the Rambam says that the person has to pay. So the Rambam is really doing something backwards because when it comes to the case of grama of blowing the fire, the Rambam rules that the person is obligated to pay. But then he applies that potential leniency of grama to this case of the threshing floor and he says that the person does not have to pay. So the Magid Mishnah also raises this issue. So to answer the Rambam, Rab Chaim begins by answering a question of Tosos and Sanhedrin Ayin Zayin. Tosos asks that according to the view in the Gemara that Isho Mishum Chitzav, which means that the reason a person is obligated to pay damages for their fire, even though the person themselves does not cause the fire to travel, the fire travels on its own. So still, the person who started the fire has to pay the damages because it's like their arrow. Just like an arrow travels beyond the damager, but it comes from the power of the person who shot it. So the same is true of a fire, even though it travels, but it's connected to the person who started it, so they have to cover the damages that it causes. So Tosvos asks, according to that view, why is the halacha that if someone drops a knife and it does shechita, it properly slaughters an animal, that is an invalid shechita? Why don't we apply the same thing that the knife falling comes from the power of the person who dropped it, and shechita does not need intention, so this should be a proper shechita. The person dropped the knife, so it's as if they still did the slaughtering. So that should be a proper shechita. Now, don't say that isho mishum chitzav is a special halacha. It only applies to damages, but it does not apply to other areas of halacha. So that's why the knife falling is not considered the power of the person. So it's not considered a shechita. Only when it comes to damages, the person has to pay. Don't say that because the Gemara in Baba Kama Chaf Beis applies the concept of also to a case where the fire killed a slave who was tied up. So this halacha also applies to capital cases where someone was killed, not only to damages. So we see that isho mishum chitzav is not a limited halacha only when it comes to damages. It's a general principle all over halacha that anything that happens as a result of someone's actions is considered their power, their energy, which is causing this to happen. So now we're back to the question, why should that not apply to shechita as well if someone drops a knife and it does a proper shechita on the animal? So to answer this, Rab Chaim suggests a conceptual distinction. And he says that when it comes to isho mishum chitzav, this idea that fire is like the arrows that a person shoots, so that only teaches us that when fire travels, it's considered the action of this person. So someone lights a fire and then that fire travels travels further, it's like they themselves caused the fire to travel further. But we don't find that it's their actual koach, that it's their energy which is pushing the fire to go on. 
which is how an arrow also works. The arrow travels not from the person's energy, but from the person's action. So basically, the traveling fire is attributed to the person, but it's not actually their energy which is causing this fire to travel, which is parallel to the metaphor of the arrow, which is how the whole halacha is formulated. As Rab Chaim says, the chashuv shuhu asa hamasa biyadayim, it's like the person did this action with their own hands, but not that it comes from their koach, their energy. So this distinction answers Tosus's question. When it comes to damages or capital cases, so the issue is who's responsible, who caused this to happen, even if they didn't do it from their own koach. So that's why a fire or an arrow in those cases, the person is going to be responsible, even though it's not their own koach, because it's their action. They are responsible and accountable for having let this fire out. So when it comes to capital cases or damages, they have to cover it. As opposed to shechita, which requires the shochet's koach, the shochet has to slaughter the animal with their own energy. It's not enough that they're responsible or accountable for what happened. They actually have to do the action. So in that case, an arrow or a fire is not going to accomplish the shechita, even though we would attribute this shechita to the shochet, but they themselves did not do it. So that's why dropping a knife on an animal is not a valid shechita, even though, again, we would consider it the actions, the maise of the shochet. So in terms of accountability, this shechita is attributed to the person who dropped the knife, but still they themselves did not do the actual shechita, so it's an invalid shechita. So that explains the difference between shechita versus damages. So that's how Rab Chaim answers Tosos's question. Now, Tosos asks another question, from the Gemara in Sanhedrin, Ayin Zayin, the Gemara says, If someone throws a rock upwards and it goes to the side and kills someone, so they're obligated for throwing that rock. So the Gemara explains that even though the person didn't directly kill, they're still obligated because it was their koach, their energy, which caused this person to be killed. So the Gemara asks, if it was actually their energy, so then the rock should have gone straight up. If it was coming from the person who threw the rock, then it would not have gone to the sides. It would have continued to travel upwards. Now, if the energy was over, so there was no more koach pushing the rock up, so then it would start to go down. So what is the case where the rock is going to the side based on the person who threw its koach? So the Gemara answers koach kahushhu. It's a weak koach. The person threw it up, but it's not a full-fledged koach, so the rock continues to go upwards. It's now going to the side because it's a weak koach, and still the person is obligated if it kills someone. So now this Gemara is very clear that the person who threw the rock is only obligated if it kills someone if it was because of their koach if the rock was traveling as a direct result of them having thrown it. But otherwise, the person would not be obligated if the rock kills someone. So Tosos asks that the Gemara in Baba Kama says that if someone leaves a rock on the roof and then it falls down, so that's the equivalent of a fire traveling, so they would be obligated because of Isho Mishum Chitzav. It's like an arrow that they set off. 
So the Gemara in Baba Kama says that even if it's not a direct result of this person's koach, but they caused this rock to be traveling, so that qualifies as their chitzav, as their arrow, and if it kills someone, then they would be obligated. So we have a contradiction in the Gemaras. If a rock falls as a result of someone's action, but it's not their direct koach, and then it kills someone, are they obligated? So Tosfos answers that in fact there is a debate and the Gemara in Sanhedrin is following the other view in the Gemara in Babakama that disagrees with Isho Mishum Chitzav and he holds Isho Mishum Mimono that the reason a person is obligated to pay for damages that their fire causes is because it's their property. So that view disagrees with the idea of Isho Mishum Chitzav. It's not their arrow. It's their financial obligation, their financial property. So the Gemara in Sanhedrin that requires Kocho is following that view. So in fact, the view that it's chitzav, it's like his arrow, would say that a rock, even if it's not kocho, but if it's chitzav, if it's a result of what this person did, and then it kills someone, so the person is obligated. But the other view would disagree with that. So that's how Tosos answers that question. Says Rab Chaim, that is not going to work in the Rambam because he rules in Hilchus Rotzeach, Gimel Yud Beis, like that Gemara in Sanhedrin. If someone throws a rock at a wall and then it falls back and kills someone, Chayiv Mises Bezdin. So the person who threw the rock is obligated. Because it's his koach, it's his energy that's driving the rock which killed someone. So the Rambam records the Gemara in Sanhedrin, which says that the issue is dependent on it being his koach. So we see that the Rambam does not hold that that Gemara is limited only to the view that Isho Mimono, but even according to the view that Isho Mishum Chitzav, that it's like arrows, still the person is only obligated for their rock killing someone if it came as a direct result of their koach. So now we're back to Tosos's question. Why is it only if the rock is because of their koach and not if it's a result of their actions like regular chitzav? In general, a person is obligated for things that they cause even if it's not a direct result of their koach. So why in terms of killing someone are they only obligated if it's a direct result of their koach? And furthermore, Rab Chaim adds that his distinction between who did the Misa versus the Koach Gavra, the energy that it's coming from, so that distinction does not have to be according to the Rambam. Because even though it's a logically valid distinction, so it does make sense, but the Rambam could say that if it's not the Koach of the person, then it's also not considered their Misa, and that's why the person is not obligated if the rock kills someone unless it's a direct result of their koach. So the Rambam could collapse that distinction somewhat and say that unless it's a direct result of the koach, it's not considered the person's maisa. They're not responsible or accountable for it. Not like Rab Chaim suggested earlier that a person can be responsible for something even if it's not a direct result of their koach. So according to the Rambam, this distinction may not make a difference. 
So to answer the Rambam, Rab Chaim suggests a totally different approach, which is that the Rambam understood that this concept of Isho Mishim Chitzav, that a person is obligated for their fire because it's like their arrows, is not Egzerus HaKasuv. It's not some special halacha that the Torah formulated to explain why a person has to cover the damages of their fire, even though they didn't spread it themselves. Because if that were the case, that it's a halacha the Torah formulated to explain that, then it should only apply to damages because that's where we have a Pasuk teaching us this principle. It should not apply to capital cases because there's no Pasuk that teaches us Isho Mishum Chitzav when it comes to capital cases. So if the fire kills someone, then the person who started the fire should be exempt. So the fact that the Gemara in Babakama makes it clear that the person who started the fire is obligated not only for damages, but also for killing someone. So that means it's not a special Xeris HaKasuv, it's not a special rule of the Torah, which is limited only to obligation for damages. So rather, the concept of Isho Mishum Chitzav means that the Torah is telling us that when someone starts a fire, which then travels, that is considered Kocho. That's the way the Rambam understands that principle in Halacha. It's not telling us that a person is obligated even though it's not their Koach. It's telling us that the person is obligated because that is considered their Koach. So when a person starts a fire and then that fire travels onwards and damages something, the Torah is saying that that's like their arrow, that they themselves are pushing this fire onwards, even though they're not actually doing that. But since they started the fire and the fire is now traveling, it's as if it's coming from the person's koach. So the person is responsible as if they are spreading the fire. So that's the analogy to the arrow arrow just like they're shooting the arrow so it's as if they're shooting the fire as well and that's why they have to cover any damages so that's also why if the fire kills someone they are responsible and they're obligated in that case because since the fire is considered their koach it's like something that they set in motion killed someone so they're obligated so that's how the rambam understood this halacha now why do we need a pasuk to teach us this halacha we know that if someone causes damages or kills someone, they're obligated. So why do we need a special rule to teach us Isho Mishum Chitzav? So the reason is because there's Koach Acher Me'urav The fire is spreading not only because of what the person who lit it did, it's spreading as a result also of the fire. So it's a combination. The person lit it and then the fire itself has the nature to spread. So we would have thought because this is not fully or solely a result of the person who lit the fire's actions, so maybe they are not responsible. So that's what the Torah teaches us, that even though it's a combination, it's a result of both the person who lit the fire as well as another force, the fire itself that spreads, even so the person who lit it is obligated. So we learn from this halacha that even though there is another force which contributes to the damage or to the death in addition to the person who started it even so, it's considered the koach, the direct result of the person who started the fire's actions, and they are responsible and obligated for what happens. So that is how the Rambam understood the halacha of Isho Mishum Chitzav. 
So that now is going to answer the question from the Gemara in Sanhedrin because this only applies when the person does contribute to the traveling of the fire or the rock in some way. So there is some of their koach in the eventual damages or death that results. But if it's a koach sheni, if it's a secondary force which causes the damage, which is the case where a person left a stone on top of the roof and then a wind blew it off. So even though the person set up the whole context for the damages to happen, so they are responsible and it's their property which caused the damage, but it's not their koach at all. They did not contribute to this stone falling on the person. All they did was leave the stone on the roof and then the wind blew it off. So that's why the Rambam says in that case, they cannot be obligated at all because there has to be some admixture of their koach in order for them to be obligated. Without that, we do not apply the rule of isho mishum chitzav. The only way to obligate them in a case where they leave a stone on top of the roof is because of memono, because it's their property, but not because of chitzav. Of, it's not their arrow because there is no mixture of their koach in the stone that's falling. So that explains why the Rambam limits the whole concept of chitzav only to when the person contributed some koach, even though there is another force which is also contributing to the damages. So let's say the fire itself or the wind that's blowing it, even if something else is assisting and creating the damages, but the person also is contributing to it, so then they would be obligated. But if they did not contribute any koach at all, so then the Rambam says that they cannot be obligated because we can't apply isho mishum chitzav because the whole point of that halacha is that this is considered their koach and in this case where the rock fell off the roof, it's clearly not their koach. So that explains the difference between the Gemara in Sanhedrin versus the Gemara in Babakama and that also answers Tosus' question about shechita because when someone drops the knife and it does a valid shechita, that that is not the koach of the person at all. They're just dropping the knife. But there's no koach that's coming from them. So that cannot be considered chitzav, their arrow. So it's not a valid shechita. Even though they might be responsible for what happened, it might be attributed to them. But since it has no admixture of their koach in it, so we can't apply chitzav. So it's an invalid shechita. So according to this approach in the Rambam, he could answer the question of Tosvos based on this distinction that the Rambam holds that the only time we apply Isha Mishum Chitzav is only when there was a mixture of the original person's koach to begin with, then we can build on that and apply the Chitzav concept. But if there's no koach to begin with, then there's nothing to apply the Chitzav to and we can't attribute it to the person at all. And Rab Chaim says that the benefit of this approach is that then the Gemara in Sanhedrin is not boxed in to only fit in according to the view that Isho Mishum Mimono. That was what Tosfos suggested because since the Gemara in Sanhedrin says that there has to be koach for the person to be obligated, so that contradicts the view of chitzav that a person is obligated for something they set into motion. So according to Tosfos, the Gemara in Sanhedrin is forced to follow the view of Isho Mishum Mimono, which is not the halacha. The halacha follows the view of chitzav. So according to Rab Chaim's explanation in the Ram 
Rambam, the Gemara in Sanhedrin follows even that view because again, the whole concept of chitzav is limited only to when there was koach to begin with. But if the person has no koach in this, so then they're not going to be obligated. And that's what happened in the Gemara in Sanhedrin, that if the rock is no longer traveling as a result of the person who threw it, so then they would be exempt because it doesn't have their koach at all. So that Gemara fits in now to the view of Isho Mishum Chitzav as well. Now, Rab Chaim explains that when the Gemara in Baba Kama says that if someone leaves a rock on top of a roof and then the wind blows it off and it damages, so the person who left it there is obligated. Now, according to Rab Chaim, that's certainly not Chitzav because there's no koach of the person. They just left the stone on there, but they did not push it downwards at all. So Rab Chaim explains that that's based on the theory that once the chitzav is done, so if a person starts a process, but then their part of keeping that going ends, so the chitzav, the arrow's part ends, it's like the arrow comes to a stop and falls down, so the person can still continue to be obligated and responsible if it's their property. That's what the Gemara in Babakamach of Gimel says, that even the view of Isham Isham Chitzav agrees that once the person's direct cause of this fire comes to an end, they're still obligated to pay because it's also their property. So that's why in the case where they leave a stone on top of the roof and then the wind blows it off, they're obligated because the stone is their property, even though they did not contribute anything to it. But we would not apply Isham Isham Chitzav to that case because they did not push the stone downwards at all. So that explains how the Rambam makes sense of the difference between the Gemara and Babakama of Isho Mishum Chitzav, that it applies to damages as well as capital cases, versus the Gemara in Sanhedrin, that it doesn't apply if the stone does not have koach of this person, as well as the case of Shechita, if someone drops a knife on an animal. So that's the Rambam's approach to this whole concept. So now Rab Chaim says, applying this distinction, we can answer the original contradiction in the Rambam. The Rambam said that if someone blows a fire and the wind also blows it, so they're obligated. But in the case of the threshing floor where the wind contributes to the damage, the person is exempt because they didn't damage on their own. So that was a contradiction. So says Rab Chaim, the answer is based on this distinction that he just developed. In the case where a person leaves a stone on the roof, so Rab Chaim explains, that that is not considered kocho because he did not contribute to that stone falling. So we don't apply the principle of chitzav. It's not like an arrow. So the reason the person is obligated there is because it's his property like a shore if his animal gores or a boar if his pit damages. So in all those cases, the person themselves did not cause the damage, but their property damaged. So they are responsible. And the same is true in this case of the stone, which is like fire that falls off of the roof without the person pushing it. So it's their property that damaged, so they are responsible. But then there is another category where they're responsible, and that is chitzav, when they directly contribute to the object damaging. So then they're obligated not just because it's their property, but it's like they themselves damaged. It's like their arrow that they shot So the damage is coming directly from their actions. So it's like 
Adam Hamazik. It's like a person who directly damages something. So says Rab Chaim, this distinction is going to answer the two different cases in the Rambam. In the case where a person blew the fire and there was also a wind blowing it, so the Rambam says that the person is obligated because of grama. They caused this fire. Says Rab Chaim, grama, the idea that a person is obligated for something that they set into motion only makes sense if they themselves are causing the damage. So they are the mazik. They are damaged. So even if they don't do it directly, but they cause the damage to be done, they're also obligated to pay. But if their whole responsibility is because they created the mazik, they set up that something that belongs to them is going to damage. So there we don't find that grumma, if they just cause that, that they're also responsible. They're only responsible for creating an object which damages if they themselves did that. But if that happened as a result of something else that they did. So we don't find an obligation of grumma if some part of their property caused the damage. Grumma only applies when they themselves are doing the damage directly. So then we say that even if they didn't do it directly, but they set into motion the damage, so they're still obligated. So the fact that the Rambam applies grumma to the case of Liba Valipsa Haruach and Hilchos Nizke Momon, where a person blows the fire and the wind blows it, shows us that in that case, the person is obligated because of their own koach, because they themselves contributed to the damage. So that's why the Rambam rules that even grumma is going to be obligated and the person has to pay even though the wind contributed also. But in this case, in Hilchoshchenim, it's talking about where the person's property, their threshing floor, caused damage. So the person themselves is not the damager, but their property is causing the damage. So there we do not apply grama. And if it's not a direct result of the person themselves, but the wind contributed to it, then they are exempt. So that explains the difference between these two cases in the Rambam, because in the case in Hochusniz Mamon, the person themselves is damaging. So there, they're obligated even for grama. Whereas in Hilchoshchenim, it's their property that's damaging. So they're not obligated for grama. And this distinction is parallel to the idea that Rab Chaim develops to explain the Rambam's view of Ishomishum Chitzav, that the Rambam limits that only to when the person themselves is causing this action. But if if it's not a result of their koach, it's just something that happened as a result of the context that they set up. So that is not mishum chitzav. They're not obligated because of what they did. They're obligated because of what their property did. So that's how to explain this halacha and the Rambam regarding the threshing floor, that there's no koach of the person. It's just their property. And that's why they're exempt for grama. So that is Rab Chaim's approach to explain this contradiction between these two halachas in the Rambam. The key conceptual point is that the Rambam believes that this concept of Isho Mishum Chitzav, that a person can be obligated for something their property does, like an arrow because it comes from their koach, that only applies if the person's koach, their actual energy, is mixed in with what happened. But if they didn't contribute to what happened at all, so then we can't apply Chitzav, and the only way they could be obligated is because their property 
damaged. So the Rambam would have to say that in the case where a person left a stone on a roof and then it got blown off, the only reason they're obligated is because the stone is their property, but not because of chitzav. The Rambam limits the whole concept of chitzav only to when the person played a role in whatever damages occurred. So that's the key point that Rab Chaim develops. Now, in the back of the Or Olam edition of Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi, so they quote from Rab Shmuel Rizovsky in his Shi'urim on Babakama, as well as Rab Moshe Shmuel Shapiro, that they point out that this distinction Rab Chaim makes already appears in the Shittim Kubetzes in the name of the Ra'ah. So Rab Chaim's distinction in this piece has a precedent from the Ra'ah. Now, Rab Chatzkel Abramsky points out, and this is also in his commentary, Chazon Yechezkel, on the Tosefta, at the beginning of Chulin, Perak Aleph Halacha Aleph. So he points out that Rab Chaim's first distinction that he suggests within Tosvos, that there's a difference between killing someone or damaging versus shechita, that the first two require accountability, the maisa of the person, whereas shechita requires kocho. So that distinction actually appears in the Torah Sabayis of the Rashba, and it's quoted by the Bach in Chulin Simon Gimel. So both of Rab Chaim's distinctions in this piece to answer Tosos's question, why there's a difference between shechita versus damages, both of them appear in the Rishon. The first one appears in the Rashba, and the second one appears in the Ra'ah. Now, the Chazon Yechezkel also quotes that there's a third answer from the Rush, and he suggests that Tosos' question is that you don't need Kavana, you don't need intention to do Shechita. So even though the person dropped the knife, it should still be a valid Shechita. The Rush says that you don't need Kavana to do Shechita, but you do need Kavana to bring down the knife. So just dropping the knife is not sufficient. The shochet does have to have intention to move the knife, even though they don't have to have intention to do the shechita. So that's the rush's third solution to why dropping the knife is not a valid shechita, even though it's considered the person's actions and the person's arrows, but the person has to have kavana to move the knife in order for it to be a valid shechita. So that's one interesting discussion that's in this piece. Rab Chaim suggests two answers, which again could be found in the Rashba and the Ra'ah, and then there's a third answer of the Rush. Now, the Chazon Ish, in his marginal comments on this piece, so he questions the first distinction that Rab Chaim says, that when it comes to killing someone, you don't need koach, it just needs to be that the person is responsible, it's their Misa, and then they're obligated for having killed someone. So that's at the root of Rab Chaim's distinction between damages and capital cases versus shechita. Now, the Chazon Ish disagrees with with that and he reads this into Tosos's question that Tosos is saying that in order to be obligated for killing someone it does require koach gavra so it's not enough for the person to be accountable for what happened it needs to be a direct result of what they did and that's the only way for them to be obligated for having killed someone and he brings a number of other proofs to this so basically there's a debate between Rab Chaim and the Chazon Ish what is the criteria for obligating someone in murder Is it that they're responsible for what happened, even if they caused it, they didn't do it directly? Or does it have to be a direct result of what they themselves did, their koach gavra that led to this death? But the debate is really only in Tosos' approach 
Because according to the Rambam, it's clear that it requires koach, like the Chazon Ish is saying. So that's one important point. Now the Chazon Ish raises another very strong point against Rab Chaim, which is he's unsure what does it mean to say that a person has koach in the fire. Rab Chaim keeps saying that when a person lights a fire and then it travels further, it comes as a result of their koach. But the Chazon Ish questions that because all the person's doing is lighting the fire. The spreading of the fire happens totally independent of what they did. So how can we consider this a case of an admixture of their koach with the fire's force when it's really the fire that's spreading on its own and all they did was light it. So that's also a very important question. And the Chazonish also raises another point. He questions Rab Chaim's assumption that there's no rule of grama on one's property's damage. So Rab Chaim said that if the person is obligated because their property caused damage, then we would not obligate them for grama. And the Chazonish questions whether that's the case. It could be even for one's property, there is an obligation of groma. So that would obviously undermine Rab Chaim's whole answer in the Rambam. So those are some of the issues that the Chazon Ish raises. Now, there's a very interesting discussion from Rab Chaim's main student, Rab Baruch Ber, in the Birka Shmuel and Babakama Simin Yud Zayin. And he compares Rab Chaim's piece to a very famous comment, probably the most famous comment of the Nemuke Yosef. The Nemuke Yosef has a very well-known question on Isho Mishum Chitzav, which is, how can you light Friday night Shabbos candles? If the whole theory of Isho Mishum Chitzav is that a fire is directly a result of the person who lit its actions, so the fire is considered what they did, so how can you light a candle which is going to burn on Shabbos, which is prohibited? You're not allowed to light a fire on Shabbos. So lighting the candle even before Shabbos, knowing that it's going to burn into Shabbos should also be prohibited because that's my actions that are causing the fire to burn. So this is a very cute question comparing this principle in damages to the laws of Shabbos. So the Namuke Yosef answers that even though the person who lit the fire is responsible for the fire's damages because it's a result of what they did, so it's like their action is continuing so long as the fire burns, but even so, the metaphor is an arrow. And when someone shoots an arrow, even though the arrow travels further, but their action is done as soon as they shoot it. So their active participation in this process is over the minute the arrow gets shot, even though whatever happens after that is a result of what they did. But still, their actual behavior is only in the shooting of the arrow. So likewise, lighting a fire, the person's active participation is done as soon as they light the fire. Now, even though the fire that travels afterwards is a direct result of what they did and they are responsible for it, but their direct behavior is over as soon as they light it. So that's why it's allowed to light a candle on Friday afternoon because once the person lights it, they're no longer doing anything. So even though that fire burns on Shabbos, which is a result of their action, but they're not actively doing anything. So they're allowed to do so. And the fire is allowed to continue burning over Shabbos. So that's the way the Nemuke Yosef understands this issue, that even though the person is responsible for what their action causes, but their active direct participation in it is over as soon as they pull back from doing it.
Now, Rabbi Baruch Ber quotes from Rabbi Chaim Ozer, the Rav of Vilna, in his Sefer Achiezer, that he explains this answer of the Nemuke Yosef. The way he formulates it is that the Nemuke Yosef is saying that when someone shoots an arrow, even though they have to pay for the damages, it's not as if they themselves damaged it. So let's say someone shoots an arrow at a vessel and the arrow goes and cracks the vessel. So even though the person is responsible because it's their energy that shot the arrow, which destroyed the vessel, but it's not as if they actually destroyed the vessel. It's clear that the arrow itself shot through the vessel. The arrow broke the vessel. What the person is responsible for is having shot the arrow. So even though the shooter is responsible to pay for the damages, they're not considered the person who damaged the vessel. They're the shooter. And the shooter has their own responsibility because of what eventually happened, but they are not considered the actual damager. So that's the way he formulates this insight and that's why in the laws of Shabbos it's allowed even though the person lit the fire which is now going to continue burning on Shabbos so that fire is a result of what they did but they are not considered the person burning the candle on Shabbos. They are considered the person who lit the candle on Friday afternoon before Shabbos which was allowed and the fire that burns on Shabbos is a result of what they did but they're not the person actually lighting that fire. So that's how Rab Chaim Ozer, the way Rab Baruch Ber explains him, formulates the answer, the approach of the Nemuke Yosef. Now, Rab Baruch Ber raises the issue that the Nemuke Yosef's approach seems to contradict Rab Chaim because Rab Chaim explained that Isho Mishum Chitzav does not mean that the Torah said that even though the person is not directly responsible for what happened, they still are obligated to pay, so they did not directly do it. It wasn't their koach, but they're still obligated because that would be limited only to damages, not to capital cases. So Rab Chaim proved from that that Isha Mishum Chitzav is a broader principle that means when someone does something assisted by another force, that's considered their koach. So if someone lights a fire and then the fire travels, even though it's a combination of the person who lit it and the force of the fire, that's still considered the koach of the person and they are responsible for anything that happens as a result of that. So that seems to contradict the answer of the Nemuke Yosef. Because according to the Nemuke Yosef, when someone lights a fire, whatever continues after that is not a direct result of what they did. They're just responsible for the damages or whatever occurs as a result of the fire. But it's not that they themselves are considered the energy of this burning fire. And that seems to contradict what Rab Chaim says in this piece, that the idea of Isho Mishum Chitzav means that someone who lit a fire, it's considered their koach that's burning the fire. So Rabbi Baruch Ber raises this issue whether the Namuke Yosef's approach contradicts what Rab Chaim writes in this piece. So Rabbi Baruch Ber says that he does not think there is a contradiction. There is a subtle way to put both of these ideas together. And the way to formulate the Namuke Yosef would be that even though he agrees with Rab Chaim's idea that when someone lights a fire, it's considered their koach. So the Torah is not just saying that they're responsible, even though it's not their koach. The Torah is saying that it's considered like it's their energy, which is propelling this fire forward. But even so, their whole active participation is 
is over the minute they stop lighting the fire. So at the moment they light it, it's as if their koach created this whole situation, and that's why they have to pay for the damages that result from this fire. But even so, it's not considered their active participation once they pull away, which is why they're allowed to light it on Friday afternoon. So according to Rabbi Baruch Ber, even though there would have been a way to see the Nemuke Yosef as disagreeing with Rab Chaim's idea in this piece, but it's also possible to put the two ideas together.